welcome to Professor Dave Debates. Hey everyone, welcome to Professor Dave Debates. Today's episode is something very near and dear to me because it is a topic that I, I often find myself discussing uh, with others and also uh, lecturing quite a bit on because when I give a talk regarding uh, anti-science mentality and, and combating it, it it's, it's, it's definitely a, a meme in terms of social thought that, that fascinates me. Uh, big Pharma, right? Big Pharma is... is typically condemned by the greater public, and uh, I think it's important to understand why that is and what aspects of the public's view of the pharmaceutical industry is legitimate and which aspects are not legitimate, because some of it comes from a sociological or socioeconomic standpoint, and some of it comes from an ignorance of the science behind pharma. So we don't want to completely absolve or completely condemn pharma, but rather we need to take the responsibility, dig in here, figure out what is pharma doing, and uh, what is good, and what is bad, and what can we do about it. So our guest today is David Lively. He is a scientist working in biotech. He works for a pharma startup, which uh, may may sound like an oxymoron to those who only know of pharma as big pharma. Uh, but actually, there are small pharmaceutical companies that that are startups. And so this is a this is a interesting perspective to bring to the discussion here. What what is somebody working in a pharma startup doing? What is their job like, and what can they tell us about the inner workings of the pharmaceutical industry. So we are going to be talking to David Lively about pharma. And our moderator today is comedian Matt Edgar. You can see him doing stand-up all over town. And uh, also the second season of his audio drama, Kevin's Cryptids, is out now on Starburns Industry Radio. So that's going to be our panel today. Should be an interesting one. And without further delay, let's go ahead and start talking about the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be doing this Big Pharma episode of your show. Um, I can relate to Big Pharma. I have been a consumer of Big Pharma for uh, the first 20, uh, about 18 years of my life, probably. Well, probably a little bit less than that. But uh, I was in kindergarten. Uh, they diagnosed me with ADHD, so I was a Ritalin mm. kid until I was in high school. And then um, I always wanted to get off, and uh, when I finally had a say in it, I, uh, I I got off freshman year of high school, but <clears throat> I had really bad anxiety, so they put mm. me on Zoloft for anxiety. So I was on I was you know on meds for until I was about twenty, and then I decided I don't want to do anything. So I don't know uh, I don't know if it, how much those medicines have changed since my time, but um, I know that if, at least back then, like. I thought it worked, and then when I went off, I, I felt like I felt the same the mm-hmm. whole time. So anyways, I'm glad that I'm able to talk to a, 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 a professional scientist in this field because I've always kind of had a bone to pick because I never really knew if is this in my head or is this real thing. And I know a lot of people rely on this stuff. So um, David, please just take this away. All right. So uh, I'm David. Uh, you know, Matt, you say you've had a lot of experience with pharma, big pharma. Uh, you know, I am a fairly new PhD scientist working in small pharma. Hopefully I can answer some of those questions for you and uh, you know, kind of tell you more about uh, what really goes on to create new drugs and what we do in pharma pretty much every day. Yeah, that's so. awesome. You know, like in a lot of the, uh, uh, 
Facebook pages I follow. I mean, I'm a big psychedelics guy. And that's right. almost like the other side. Like pharma is like like the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, hopefully I can, you know, give you a little more information. Bridge the gap. Yeah, you know. Uh, They're more related than we might think. Yeah, a little more I think related, they should but, you know, be. Yeah. But there's more than just the memes out there. So yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I know. All I know, I only speak in memes. So. And so uh, on my side over here, so obviously David is pro-pharma being within pharma. And, uh, you know, it's no secret that I, you know, am, am a proponent of Western medicine over alternative medicine. But for the purpose of today's discussion, I'll, I'll try to play a little bit of a devil's advocate um, because there's a lot going on in, in the maelstrom and uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, well, there's misconceptions, there's paranoia. Some of it is legitimate, some of it illegitimate. So we want to sift through it. And so I think maybe the best place to start is that there's a very popular narrative in our society where, whereby, um, you know, Western medicine is equivalent to big pharma, which is evil and profit driven. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, it, it's, it's this secret that we need to be awoken to that actually just diet and exercise. This is how you can cure cancer and this is how you can be healthy and do everything. And so, um, I guess, you know, when you see things like, uh, you know, this just in beats cure cancer and things like that, is this completely illegitimate? Is it completely legitimate? Is it in between? If, if it's illegitimate, why is it such a popular narrative? David, do you have any opinions about this? It's really in between, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, yeah, you think about big pharma, um, definitely has a pretty bad reputation. Uh, you hear about, you know, like Matt's experience, like kids getting put on Ritalin, Adderall, Adderall you know, from being medicated from, uh, you know, uh, kindergarten on, right? Yeah. Um, so I, th I think there's enough experiences out there, people have talked about it, that, you know, you do get a stigma for big pharma. You, like I said, you look at some Facebook pages and stuff like that, yeah. and you know, you do hear that, like, okay, yeah, weed's going to cure your cancer, you know, uh, you know, maybe beets are going to cure cancer and stuff like that, but it's, you know, big pharma keeping you down. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I would say, you know, kind of bluntly, no. Uh, I mean, you know, we are, I do work in small pharma. If we could take something from beets and cure you of cancer, yeah. you'd be doing it. Why not? We'd be doing it yeah. because we're in a... Also, we are going to become big farmer that way. Yeah, cancer, cancer would not exist, right? Yeah, cancer just wouldn't all exist. Eat beets. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> eat simple. beets. I mean, so I mean, so many like cancer drugs specifically have come from uh, nature, right? Yeah. So uh, taxol uh, comes from the bark of a tree, right? So people found that, found this compound, but then people had to, you know, confirm that it actually does what it says it's going to do. Find out ways to make that efficiently make it safe uh, so cancer patients can get that, you know, uh, reliably. So, sure, like, you might be able to get something out of beets or whatever, but, you know, every beet's going to be different. Uh, you can't just rely on that. So you do need to, you know, you can find natural sources, uh, and, but you need to further develop those and actually make sure they're doing what they're doing. Um, Especially, like, if you want to talk about cancer, it's a very complex disease, and, you know, a lot of people don't have healthy lifestyles. Sure. So you're going to get cancer, uh, but you may have some other, uh, you know, other disease going on, maybe diabetes, or, you know, maybe you do have, like, serious depression, you are on, you know, Zoloft or something right. like that, right? And, sure, a beat might cure you, but unless you, 
you know, researching those compounds enough, mm-hmm. you know, there's really uh, undesired side effects that could happen. This reminds me of uh, <clears throat> who's the guy, Cheech and Chong. Uh, yeah. Tommy Chong got mm-hmm. cancer. He has mm-hmm. prostate cancer. And, uh, you know, when he first got it, uh, his whole thing was, I'm not using any conventional Western yeah. medicine. I'm going to use yeah. oil, weed oil, basically. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, like in a year, it's like, yeah, I got to I got to get chemo. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's crazy. How how do how do why is that? Why do people keep trying that? Like, because that's been this has been a thing for a long time where like, you know, people want to use alternative medicine for something like cancer, which is dead serious, which you're not yeah. going to get cured off beets. I'm sorry. Right. The people that throw ginger in the mix, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 I, you know, has it ever worked? Has that ever worked? Cause if, if that sure. actually, if so, it's coincidental. Yeah, it, right? It's coincidental. It's not, it's correlation, but not causation. Gotcha. Right. You yeah. could say the same about prayer, right? Somebody right. prays and then they get they are okay. Mm-hmm. Was it the prayer? Was it the bed sheets? Was it the the the, the drink that they did? Wait, what was yeah. it? Yeah, could be completely coincidental. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think like when we talk about cancer, like you know, everyone's scared of it. Not very many people understand it. Even us scientists that do cancer research, we don't understand that well. And you know. The causes of cancer, sure, like smoking give you cancer, but you can also have random mutations in your in your proteins that yeah. give you cancer. Mm-hmm. Causeless, just causeless, yeah, yeah. Chance. You can um, have the BRCA two gene that's going to give you breast cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing you can really do about that. But you can also have the spontaneous mutations in proteins that reverse that, or really? uh, you can also have maybe develop an immune response for that. Sure, like your body just kind of has like a fail-safe to it to where again so yeah like your cells and your body it's a very tightly regulated machinery so they go through the cell cycle and then that's very tightly controlled so cancer you can think about the cell cycle getting thrown off so it's no longer controlled so the cells just start growing proliferating forming these tumors they can spread now your cells do have mechanisms to do that um one mechanism that's pretty common in law of cancers is uh, P53. Uh, it's called uh, P53, it's named the protein. That's basically the size of it. Um, but it is a uh, tumor suppressor. So when it's active, if things get thrown off uh, in the cell cycle, it actually can kill the cell. But in certain cases, that P53 protein uh, becomes inactive for whatever reason. Because uh, every protein needs like a structure, right? So it has a three-dimensional structure that does its job. If you mutate that uh, and slightly change it, it can completely throw it off. But you could also have another spontaneous mutation that fixes it. Mm-hmm. So like a protein like P53, you only need a few molecules of it to kill a cancer cell. So if it's completely inactive, you can get cancer. And you're, and you're saying just these are, these are proteins that your cells already yeah. have on, it, on its own. What's this study that, that I've been hearing about recently where, where we're using, uh, like, our own immune system? Like, we're pr- programming our immune system to fight the cancer. Yeah, so there's, there's a real desire to do that. So I think traditionally, everything has been, like, small molecule-based drugs. So these are, it's like j- just these small, tiny molecules. Uh, you can find them from nature and stuff like that. And, you know, you can synthesize those. And they've worked for... A, you know, most of farmers' history so far. What are those doing on the molecular level? I think a lot of people yeah. would like to know what is a drug, what does it do, you know, if we can get just a little bit into the nitty-gritty of the yeah, molecular yeah. So, level of it all. 
So most drugs are actually inhibitors. Um, so they inhibit a protein from actually doing this action. And that protein, again, if it's cancer, it can be like a cell cycle drug. Um, it can prevent uh, the DNA from being replicated or um, just arresting the cells in a certain uh, cell cycle. Uh, for drugs like Zoloft, or, you know, a lot of these um, uh, like if mood stabilizing drugs or you know um, antipsychotic drugs and stuff like that, they can actually inhibit the uptake of uh, serotonin reuptake. So, like in your brain, you have all these neurons, and you have uh, serotonin go between them, and it's a tightly regulated uh, system. So, if you throw off like your serotonin levels. Um, you basically can manifest depression in you know these these mental symptoms, so you have like serotonin reuptake inhibitors that actually prevent uh, the reuptake of the serotonin into the neurons. So those drugs basically block that, so you have higher serotonin levels um, in in it. So I think going back to kind of like what Matt was saying at at the beginning, like yeah, like you know I was on these for twenty years, and at the end, you know uh, I don't feel. I feel no different. I mean, I mean, your, your body does adapt to that. So, sure. so, I mean, maybe, like, maybe you don't remember like when you're like a kid getting first put on Ritalin yeah. um, or, or Zoloft, right? I mean, you probably did experience a change, but your body can adapt over oh, there, time to it. There definitely is a, especially with Ritalin. I remember like being, some of my earliest mem memories were figuring out like that Ritalin feeling of um, like that, that, like you're almost like so focused on what are the thing that the teacher teaching that everything else is kind of gone. But you know, classes go on. You have nutrition break. You have lunch break. Yeah. And when you get to these breaks as a kid, you're still in that. I almost couldn't speak. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so with whatever the active whatever's going on with Ritalin or let's even say Zoloft with like the serotonin, like the side effects that that come from that. Like, don't those kind of also become the effects? Yeah. I mean, you can definitely get get side effects, and you can, you know, blur that line of, you know, what's really going on. Like, yeah. is, it, is it my biology? Sure. Or I always wondered that. Yeah. Like, is this just me? Like, does this work better for other people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think it is. I think it does work That's better for people. That's the scary part. So how do we help the public differentiate between a paranoia about pharma that relates to misprescription, overprescription, uh, overpricing, all of these socioeconomic challenges, how do we help people separate that from a paranoia about science and what molecules are and what they do and what a disease is and things that are really not disputable in the physical realm? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's difficult, right? Yeah. So all modern like pharma drug development is based on science. Right. And that leads to some of these very high drug prices. Right. So high risk. It's very high risk. Put right? a lot of money in. You're trying to make you a drug. It doesn't in. work. You lose all that money. Mm -hmm. So so pharma has a bit of a higher profit margin than other industries. Right. What, what would you say that is roughly? I mean, it, it's hard to say right. on, on the drugs because mm -hmm. it's very difficult to know like what really went in there. And drug development is such an expensive, time-consuming process, right? So if you have a disease you want to treat, it isn't just like, oh, okay, you want to cure lung cancer or something like that. You have to find the specific one. You have to validate what you want to target, right? 
So you have so many of these proteins in your body that if you inhibit other ones, that's how you can inhibit bad side effects right. and like lean to death. So you have to validate your drug target. And then that's what starts the drug development process. And that can be, you know, 20 years. Um, you have wow. to figure out a molecule that will inhibit this protein. And then you have to make sure it doesn't inhibit anything else that you don't want it yeah. to. And that's what takes the 20 years that, is the that, trial. That's what can and, then, and then speaking from the perspective of someone who did some organic chemistry, you actually have to figure out a synthetic pathway to mass produce this molecule, which can be super duper challenging. Yeah, no, it, it, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's like, it's like not enough just to figure it out right. at one time. You then, you know, if it's, if it's something that you've isolated from a natural source, well, maybe it only comes in these microgram amounts in a sponge at the bottom of the ocean. Right. We got to make this thing yeah. in a lab so we, everybody can use it, you know, like crops. It's like, you don't just grow one lemon, right? You got to yeah. grow, you mass produce this molecule, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think one good example of that is like turmeric. So, uh, mm -hmm. turmeric, has curcumin in it, which, uh, you know, I, I've done some work with like uh, amyloid diseases, uh, like Alzheimer's. Um, it's like the main one of that. And curcumin, like people find it all the time. Like it's going to inhibit like Alzheimer's, um, uh, like aggregation in your brain, right? So it sounds like, oh, wow, great drug, right? You can, you, can, you know, go ahead, put in a pill, give it to people. Sure, that molecule in the lab works. But then in a biological system, biological system, it doesn't work a lot of factors. Whoa. You have so many factors. So like once you identify what you want to target, you have to screen millions of compounds. And so if curcumin is your compound that comes out, that might not be a drug like compound. So it may not work in biological system it can have off target side effects. It can maybe it doesn't have good bioavailability. So you take a pill and then uh, you just you can't just, absorb it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just piss it out. Yeah. Just piss it out. Uh, or it uh, only accumulates in very in the wrong tissue, uh, not to the right levels, has crossed the blood-brain barrier. There's so much to develop in that. So you have to make those drugs. You have to, after you find your initial hit, you have to go through organic synthesis and make you know hundreds, thousands of other compounds, and, and hope they maintain the activity and uh, have better properties or improved specificity over another protein or what. Um, but you can't predict that. Right now we can't predict that. So it's a lot of empirical uh, work, trial and error to find what you want. And hopefully, uh, hopefully you achieve that you know, in a reasonable time frame. Mm -hmm. But all easy drug or easy drug targets have really been screened already. So currently we're in this um, state where uh, there's so much competition and, you know, secrecy of what's going on. You may know what a rival company is working on, but you don't know how far they are. So, you know, you can put in 10 years of effort to get something. Oh, my God. And these guys could be wrapping it up. They could be wrapping it up right. or you could be ready to go into a clinical trial. Hence patents are yeah. so important. Yeah. Yeah. You can be going in a clinical trial and then the patent come out that claims the same molecule or like a class of molecules. At what point do you, do you patent? Do you do that before the trials? If it, yeah. Just in case. So it would be before the trials, but I mean, it's a difficult, uh, difficult space because when you have a patent, you only have it for a few years, 10 years or yeah, something. If, How long is it? Uh, I believe 20 years. Does that total. make it one of the first things you do then? Just like, well, I should probably give us 10 years. It is to develop. 
little bit more of this. No, thing. no. It, it, you want to do it as late as possible. Okay. So you want to validate that. So you know, after you find this compound, the compound you want to do, you have to you have to do animal studies to make sure it's safe. And you no, know, animal studies is very controversial, but every government who would ever approve a drug needs some kind of safety study because mm-hmm. you don't know how good these drugs are going to be. We're talking about mice. Typically, mice, mice yeah. or rat. Um, and you can give, you know, how they how they land on mice or rats as the guinea pigs. They're cheap. Yeah. They have short lifespans, and uh, we know a lot about them. Mm-hmm. So we've studied them enough that you can actually. Uh, put in human proteins in them, uh, knock out their own proteins, so you can use them as a real good model. Nice. They're not the best, you know, just because something works. In, yeah, But I they're mean, sufficiently genetically similar that pretty, we think it's valid data. It's yeah. like as good as it's going to get yeah. to a human. Yeah, so it's, yeah, in, in a small animal that, yeah. uh, you know. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I mean, still, those, those you know, uh, everyone tries to be ethical with it. You know, uh, it's technically regulated but it isn't you know it isn't a non-human primate or like a dog or something like that that you know people tend to have more uh you know emotional attachment to and then no one wants to like you know hurt a dog or yeah. you know a monkey or something like that so a mice i mean uh they're the simplest uh quickest way to do and that not to veer too far off the topic but like i, I always grew up uh learning about like the holocaust and yeah. stuff like that did we really get a lot of like medical information from you know what i'm talking about right yeah well i kind of don't well like you know like we tested on jewish people yeah you know in like camps and like people yeah there's an argument that you'll every now and then you'll hear like well we learned a lot about medicine from using people yikes yeah yeah i'm just curious how how much did they actually Mm -hmm. like do they did they take away from that I don't think it's a shallow yeah. argument because I, I mean, there's really, I don't know if there's proof like, Oh, we just, you know, mm-hmm. no, in I, the midst I, of all the bad things that happened then, like, was there anything that they did come out of it that we still use today? Not specifically. And yeah. I think, you know, how, how crazy those like experiments were, were, yeah. um, and how unethical it is. Right. Yeah. So sure. They may have had some observation from that, but you can't, you can't, uh, you know, test it to validate. Right. It, right? Yeah. So that, yeah, it was like, you know, so all the testing happened then. And then there's like, obviously nothing else we could get from that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it happened and it was horrible, but you know, maybe there was some knowledge, uh, gain from it, but you know, if that was like a one-off observation or something mm-hmm. like that, you never really know. Yeah. And, I'm just interested if it was yeah. like, there was like a basic thing that, that they learned that like we still use, like, like, oh, this, you know, we kind of figured out how to, you know, combat a cold. Uh, no, no. I mean, no, no. obviously yeah, yeah. not a cold, but like something. I don't think they were too concerned about curing the colds <laughs> of the, of the of, Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. was high on their list of priorities. I actually no. want to get back to, so <clears throat> we started talking a little bit about pro- the process of drug development. Yeah. And so you work for, for a pharma startup. I right? do. And, and so... This is this would be a very interesting way to help rehabilitate the image of pharma because people think of pharma and they think of big pharma. Yeah. They think of startup and they think of Silicon Valley and they think of that whole different realm. So working for a pharma startup, can you talk a little bit about the process from selecting a drug, making the drug, testing a drug, and yeah. highlighting kind of how it differs for you guys compared to uh, Amgen or Merck or you know one of the big one of the big boys? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you. So there's small pharma, small pharma startup, which 
the majority of the research is actually being done in. And then you do have, you know, the bigger companies, Amgen, Merck, uh, Eli Lilly, you know, these huge pharma companies that you, they have a similar process, but, um, but yeah, it does differ in like the resources. So a lot of pharma startup is actually coming from academia. So from universities. Mm-hmm. So typically what would happen um, and kind of how we got our start is there's going to be some kind of basic science research going on in a lab and they end up making some discovery. And then if it is medically related and a lot of people do medically related research because it's easier to get money for it. And uh, I think as a scientist, you know, that I've foc- tried to focus on doing that because I want to do my work to you you know, benefit. Help. I want to yeah. help people. Right. So there's tons of medical research going on. They were find like a drug like molecule um, or find some kind of inhibitor. <clears throat> Typically the universities were patent that. Um, and then depending where you are, depending on, um, y- you know, the university system, that can be spun out into a startup. So I come from UCLA, the University of California is uh, pretty um, good in allowing professors to start their own companies. So you can start a company, uh, basically license a patent owned by the university and pay royalties on that. And this patent is is on a molecule. It's on an individual molecule that they say, we think this is gonna do this thing in the body. Yeah, typically they were patent or a uh, class of molecule. Uh, yeah, yeah, class of yeah. molecule or, or something. Um, so they do the patent application for that. You know, they'll get the university, like, will own all that research, but then it can also be spun out into these pharma startups. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be either, like I said, either be a professor, like, starting the company themselves, or it could be a company that will go out and license this. So when you think about these pharma startups, they are taking a lead compound from like an academic group. So I talked about, you know, maybe 20 years to like find a drug target. In the the startup realm, a lot of the times these universities will do, you know, 10, 20 years of research to get, identify what uh, will be the protein causing this disease and hopefully like one of these lead compounds. Now, Big Pharma does that as well, but they can also do like the, this internal uh, target review process. Because if you have the money for that and the resources, you can do this target identification. You know, you can screen a million compounds or more, more and get a lead compound to develop. You know, we don't have the resources for that in startups. So we'll license one of those compounds and then uh, evaluate it in our own systems. <clears throat> I mean, there is a difference between academia and pharma startups for sure. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest difference is going to be um, how you go about the research. So like these, these drugs or, you know, uh, drug leads are coming from basically doing experiments in the lab and then happen to identify a compound. You kind of, um, uh, you know, ask questions in academia and, and see what comes out of that. So we use those and then take this different approach in pharma by like, coming up with a profile of what we want this drug to be and then using the resources to get there. So I think that's kind of like why you would need a pharma, right? Because mm. like a university lab isn't dedicated to 
for drug the most development. part, drug development and putting the resources into one thing. They're getting the knowledge. They're getting the knowledge, and you know, you're asking questions. Come up with an answer. You you know, get a grant based on a series of questions. You come up with an answer. Come up with a new grant for that. And, you know, it's kind of like this uh, repeating process. Well, in pharma, we take a real different approach to it. Uh, of we know what the answer we want to have, and then we ask the questions of how to get there or dedicate everything to get there. It's yeah. result specific. It's result specific, and with that, uh, you know, we we have a goal in mind. We assemble the best uh, techniques, uh, you know, the best people either working for us or consultants to try to get there and get the knowledge. And then if we need to pivot, we can uh, uh, pivot more uh, rapidly uh, than and, and change direction than like an academic, a- academic lab where they, you know, have like a, a two-year grant for a specific project or have a grad student with a specific project for like four, five, six years or something like that, really dedicated to it. So they got to finish that. They, they got to finish it, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in pharma, uh, we will, you know, take these compounds, evaluate them in-house to see what they are see if they look like they're going to be a drug uh, at all, uh, if they have any kind of promise. I mean, typically to get that point, you are license the molecule uh, or class of molecules from the university, so you have uh, therapeutic rights for it. So uh, typically it's therapeutic rights too. So if that could be like diagnostic or if that molecule could benefit research or something like that, the former startups aren't doing anything to like prohibit that. Right. So that's still like stuff from the university is public knowledge, but you would license it so no other company can really pursue that. So it gives you, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the safety to invest money right. to further develop this. Okay. So like thinking about big pharma, that's all in-house, um, you know, that is uh, more secretive. Right. So that isn't necessarily going to be benefiting people. Not to say like big pharma won't do that. Big pharma has let, you know, libraries of compounds out there like they they do do research they do publish it but a lot of it is you know more secretive for a while what makes them publish it like what makes them decide whether to publish it or not it it will vary for different companies but uh if it is you know groundbreaking um in the field if you make the field if you you know if you can publish in uh, one of the top journals, uh, Nature, Science. Um, notoriety. Notoriety, right? You, you can get your name out there, especially if you're like a newer company, you can get your name out there. You can also publish things that uh, probably aren't going to be like the drug, right? So you can publish knowledge out there, but it isn't going to be like what you're pursuing. Right. But if you also have the patent for it, right, you're, you have more freedom mm-hmm. to, uh, to publish. Um, yeah, because anyway, I mean, we can't criticize too much because every every company has the right to reap the fruits of its investment. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you put mm. however many millions of dollars into into developing something, you you ought to be able to patent that. You ought yeah. to be able to get back your investment. You know. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't fully understand. Yeah. I, we, we get a lot of criticisms about drug patents and and other or kinds ha- yeah. of patents mm. and and uh, to me, it's always confusing the inability to understand that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't understand. A lot of people see like, okay, um, 
Right. Okay. So you, you know, Martin Shkreli's out there that are, right. uh, you oh, know, I couldn't wait to bring him up. <laughs> jacking up the price. Right. And that's probably the worst, you know, the worst examples. Right. Of it. That, well, that is, is there anything defensible about that action? Not really. Okay. I mean, it's basically, a this is great. Pre- this is, yeah. Yeah, I think it is, right? So, yeah, I mean, I don't see anything justifiable with that. It is raising the prices to get more money off of it. Right. Um, but, you know, if you, you know, th- there are new, like, drugs being developed. They come out, and they're, like, $16,000 or more for it. A lot of that is the development cost, mm-hmm. right? So, like, we talk about the process. Like, you get this lead compound. You have to develop it. It can take years. You can get to the point where you're someone else patents it you can put it in a mouse and it kills it right and it can you know you got to figure out why maybe it completely ruins that you know entire class of drugs right Mm -hmm. that uh it just won't work at all um so there's so much money developed invested in that even like once you have an investigational new drug with fda you have to put in clinical trials uh very time consuming very expensive again years uh to do that so there's been so much money invested in that to get to that one drug uh to market that it can you know justifiably be really expensive and you know i talked about small molecules earlier there's a move away from small molecules to actually biologics so a lot of these are going to be antibodies um so everyone produces their own antibodies to fight disease naturally you neither like kind of what you're talking about earlier matt that you know, there are techniques being developed that you can actually take out uh, your immune cells and kind of engineer those to produce antibodies. Um, that's one promising new approach uh, to it, but what's kind of been established in the antibody and biological realm is actually development of brand new antibodies to treat a disease. So instead of individual uh, targeted treatments, take antibodies that may cure an entire like class of cancer or something now what would these antibodies be doing is it just that they have some unique receptors that are able to recognize cancer cells or something what, what's going on there yeah so they would be developed uh to recognize a cancer cell so it, we, we talk about like uh drug like efficacy typically based on the minimum concentration that it needs to to be to work mm-hmm. right so the less the better the less the better so maybe with the small molecule you may need to have very high like blood serum levels of it and that that's fine right because it may be cheaper to produce and everything like that so you can think of maybe like a really good small molecule would be what we would call like a nanomolar inhibitor or like a antibody would be a picomolar inhibitor so like a thousand times uh, stronger mm-hmm. right so there's this move to that and because of that very strong affinity, you can target very specific uh, proteins, like a cell surface protein that might be related to cancer or um, some kind of receptor that may be uh, giving you uh, some kind of uh, adverse effect, whether like headaches or, you know, whatever. Um, so you would engineer, you'd, again, identify the target and then somehow a- engineer an antibody for that. Um, there's tons of techniques to do that, but you would get in this antibody that very, very specifically recognizes um, something with this very high affinity, so it's going to hopefully reduce side effects. And then what that antibody does was well, going to depend on the disease. 
So you can have uh, antibodies that uh, may bind a protein and remove it from your blood. You could have an antibody that just uh, binds on to the cell surface receptor and basically inactivate it, inactivates it. It has such as high affinity that you know once it's on there, nothing else can you know activate it, or it's not going to come off. Or you can also have um, so those would be kind of like neutralizing antibodies, these blocking antibodies. You can also have antibodies that uh, could uh, elicit an immune response. So if you have some kind of like protein deposit. Uh, you could have, and there's some antibodies in, uh, going into clinical trials for this, that the antibody will uh, stick to a protein deposit, and then your immune system will then recognize that now and um, uh, remove it. Uh, so if you have like a, uh, like a aberrant like protein deposit causing disease, those are made up uh, basically of your own proteins. And the way your immune system works is you can't actually, uh, most likely, you won't be able to create your own natural antibodies for that because just um, how antibodies are filtered out to not recognize self. So you can actually engineer antibodies uh, in the lab to, to recognize that. Again, that's a very expensive, time-consuming process. And antibodies are biological things. So they have to be made in the cells. You can't synthesize those. They're not a simple organic mm -hmm. chemistry synthesis. It's not a tiny molecule. It's, it's not a, a tiny big, molecule. It's a big, big protein. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, a thousand times larger than a, a small molecule drug. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be made in cells. Uh, they have limited shelf lives. Um, you have to make tons of it for clinical trials. So, you know, there can be billions of dollars to, to make these. So that's why you have, you know, $16,000 um, price tags or something like that or, or more. Uh, for these just because how difficult they are to make right they need to recoup you need to recoup it and you and know if that weren't the case i mean uh, that and, and patents then nobody would make drugs no one would make it yeah it just yeah. wouldn't happen yeah no one would make it and you know you have to recoup the money for that drug but there's also maybe 10 other drug programs that got killed or uh need to be redeveloped and stuff like redeveloped in some uh in some manner with you know no income, I mean, you know, a lot of scientists you know want to do stuff to help people, but also you know we do need to you know have a salary, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, uh, be able to you know sustain ourselves too. So mm -hmm. you know, it's very expensive with the personnel and actual sometimes actually making these molecules and stuff like that. It's it's a very very expensive process. So yeah. Well, how long have you, was there like a, a turning point in, in, in medicine where you started when you guys realized that you could literally manipulate your own proteins and, and, cause that just seems like a, an approach that I've, I've, I've only heard about in the last few years, like, like using your, like what you got to like combat, like, like you said, like yeah. you could like your, your cells, those, those certain proteins that aren't supposed to recognize yeah. itself yeah or yourself. When did you guys start going, like, when did you start programming them, programming them to recognize? I mean, it, it is a That's a thing. huge breakthrough. It is like, a huge breakthrough. And I think probably, I'd say, like, the last, like, so antibodies have been developed uh, about 15 to 20 years as drugs. But, uh, you know, actually modifying um, uh, the, your own proteins and, like, these further developments, that is a newer uh, technology. Wow. Maybe, like, really started to establish itself and maybe like 10 years ago um you know as we 
as you know, everything has advanced in science, especially biological sciences like uh, sequencing the human genome, um, developing new DNA manipulation techniques, uh, new techniques to make antibodies, um, computationally being able to redesign proteins. I mean, it, it still is a pretty nascent uh, a field out there. I mean, there's not a lot we understand, um, and we're improving on it. So, so it is really cutting edge um, in science. It's like, like I said earlier. I mean, a lot of the the simple, easy drug targets are have already been tackled by big pharma. Um, either they found things or they didn't find things. So you have to go on these more difficult things. So you, we are moving towards the biologics and uh, designed antibodies and designed uh, protein uh, memetics or peptide memetics and stuff like that. Wow. We're in the, we're in the future. Yeah. Cutting yeah. Yeah. Edge. Yeah. Definitely cutting edge. So, I mean, sp- speaking of these kinds of successes, I think one, one approach to rehabilitating pharma, uh, you know, the, the, the public image of pharma, I think that another popular narrative is, uh, Oh, you know, um, cancer medication and AIDS medication, all these things, these are meant to pe- keep people ill so that they can continue continue to be treated and can, can be profited off of. Right. So I yeah. think what, what are some success stories in pharma of just, there's a disease and now it's gone, right? These kinds of things to, to show that that's not how pharma operates. Uh, th- there's one drug, drug called a uh, Gleevec, mm-hmm. which, uh, cures, uh, uh, a leukemia. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's leukemia lymphoma. Um, so they they found a protein, that basically uh, is a protein kinase, so it, it signals inside the cells. Um, that uh, protein, uh, if you inhibit it, you can basically uh, kill the cancer and cure, kill the disease. So a molecule was made to, to do that, and it cures you of the cancer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one real common one. Um, AIDS, HIV, uh, there's like HIV in AIDS isn't uh, a death sentence anymore. Wow. I mean, sure, you will be on these medications for life, but, uh, you know, it's basically a chronic disease now with these treatments. And just because, like, right now, um, with, like, uh, HIV and AIDS, sure, it may seem like people aren't uh, trying to cure the disease, but they've made so much progress with that, and there's still ongoing work to create either vaccines or new treatments like that, Um I mean, there are cures out there, mm-hmm. and you know, Hep C recently. Yeah, Hep C. Just, yeah, it's not a thing anymore. Yeah, wow. it's like yeah. these things aren't a thing. Or okay, if you want to, you know, have the argument that as farmer we only want to, you know, keep people sick. Uh, I mean, we wouldn't be making vaccines, right? right so right. if you have vaccines, ah, uh, but the vaccines cause all kinds of problems, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to the public. Oh yeah, I of mean, course, right? Know. And sure, yeah, you definitely people have basically a fraudulent claim of autism being linked to vaccines from papers that end up being retracted. But then, I mean, people do have like, um, uh, I think a lot of people do have like a, a stigma that, or like a, a fear of a lot of like science, right? There's a lot of science, um, anti-science anti-science. And I think yeah. it's like, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, scientists are normal people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, science is difficult. Like it, for some reason, it's come easy to me. But 
I mean, there's tons of stuff that don't. You're uh, also right? the only people that are actually looking into it. Yeah, we're the only people looking into it. But it's like, yeah, I mean, people think science is like, whoa, like yeah, I could never do that. I think it's overwhelming. But it's overwhelming. Like, I'll like. Yeah. So is law. So yeah, is. Right. I mean, a lot of stuff is. Yeah. No. I mean, it's I, easiest just to believe in God. Yeah, like, it is right. Like people like think it's so difficult. Like I, I've told people like I have a PhD and like, oh wow, you're like so smart. It's like, no. I'm not really that much different. I just, I, we ended up. You studied this for 12 years or whatever. We studied it and like we specialize in it, right? And you're interested. Yeah, yeah, interested in it, right? Like, you you know, I'm no different than like a a carpenter, like building a house or something like that, right? Right. Something you can possibly never understand how to build a house. I could never do that, anything like that. But these guys don't even really have college degrees and they're out there building houses. Right. If there's something that you practice and you get good at and, uh, you know, maybe you might have some kind of like it might come easier to you or whatever. I guess the difference is that you could you could feasibly learn carpentry semi on your own or or from a from a, a mentor, whereas any scientific field, you must learn what the generations of scientists yeah. have, have compiled. And multiple things like math and like, yeah, there's so mm. much. Although not too much math for the biological sciences, quite honestly. There's 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 some, but it, it doesn't really go I mean, beyond algebra. No, no, yeah, it doesn't really go beyond algebra. Like, yeah, I had to take calculus. That's enough for that. me, though. <laughs> yeah, when do you use calculus as a biochemist? Never. Never. Yeah. Uh, even like simple calculations. Uh, yeah, I use apps, right? Really? For, like dilutions and stuff like that, because like. Because you can, I, yeah, you can, you know, right? It, yeah. It's simplified. Like they're just measurements. It's, yeah, it's, it's really there. just theoretical physicists that are using mind-bending math. Right, that's yeah. their tool. Like you yeah. need like quantum computers to figure that all out. kinds yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. but I think yeah, definitely like uh, science education is difficult in school, um, and I think a lot of people like yeah, they struggle with math or something like that, so they don't really pursue it or. You know, you might have, oh, you right. don't get the exposure like, to that kind of thing. Like, almost if you start off with math and you're not a math guy, that just turns you off of science altogether. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, in universities, you have to take, like, basic, like, you may have to take calculus to, like, get into, like, science class and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So people don't have the exposure to it. So they're going to be like, oh, yeah, like, oh, these are, like, super smart people or, or like, Well, that, then it almost scheming. can become a defense mechanism that you hated science so much in school may be what develops into a distrust of science. It manifests know? into, so, like, you're the enemy. Right. Like, no, the yeah, so, I, I think so. Given think so. given that one of the best ways to make somebody understand an opposing point of view is to, in some way, validate their own point of view, I guess what I would be very interested in, when you have these people that are thinking, well, Western medicine is evil. It's all about alternative medicine and the earth. Pharma is evil, profit-driven, etc. What can we validate about that? Can we find a couple of points to say, you know what, you're right about this. However, and then, right, so what could some of these points be? Uh, yeah, no, the definitely, there are things out there in Eastern medicine, uh, you know, herbs and stuff like that, that can be validated. They do have compounds in them some active chemical, ingredient some active ingredient like a lot of people also like don't they hear like oh natural products or like you know artificial like molecules. natural good synthetic bad this right. is a topic i'm obsessed yes. with to okay be yeah yeah yes. yeah uh, so there's no difference between them they're all the same mm-hmm. well just like you said molecules. earlier how like we we're also extracting things from like 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 that one cancer medicine that comes from the bark that you, you mentioned it's like you're you guys are also kind of doing the same thing yeah yeah, yeah, you can 
because mm. sometimes sometimes instead of just inventing a molecule out of thin air, you can try some ones that are lying around and mm. see you what can they try do. Some that are lying it's around. It's a little bit of a shortcut. It, it, sure. Yeah, it's a shortcut because how many billions of different molecules? I mean, can you synthesize? Right, you, literally it, infinite possibility. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, there's you would have nowhere to like really start so you have to use these natural compounds to do mm -hmm. that and then uh, you unless, find them don't some people sort of look at like a target enzyme and look at it look at the active site and map out the active site and try to develop a molecule that they think would have the right three-dimensional shape and composition to fit yeah. in there and and yeah so that, that's that, a method right? that that's structure-based drug design okay so i actually did some of that my phd is actually in uh structural biology mm -hmm. um so I did some like uh, kind of drug discovery before grad school. Then I did uh, structural biology, X-ray crystallography. Uh, getting those structures to start is super difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it can take again years and years to get the the structure to do that. So you need a structure for that. But yeah, you can computationally model in compounds. Um, I've worked with people that have done that work. Um, you modeling compounds that are either available or you can buy, or you could do de novo, right? You could so make it up and then make it up, synthesize it, make it up and synthesize it. I mean, you can, you can model any kind of compound into some drug site. Uh, but you know, you can't make everything right. So, um, you may have like, oh, this perfect model of a compound, but you can't reasonably make it sure. in, in sufficient quantities um, or you have to develop a completely novel synthetic technique to do it which yeah. is a whole you know that's five graduate students phds right there yeah yeah it's something that's really impossible so yeah you can either you know taking a shortcut with uh drug products um some other programs that i've been uh involved with with structure-based design involve like uh, fragments so you take like a bunch of like small things stick them in with a protein and actually solve the structure of that and then see if you can like make that into like a bigger compound. So it's like a, like a, a puzzle to like assemble a new drug. Wow. Is that the fun part? I mean, it can be fun. Yeah. I mean, I think. Especially if it works. Yeah. Especially if it works. And, and uh, doing something like that uh, for me is pretty interesting because, yeah. you know, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, think like science is super difficult or like super exciting. A lot of what I do is working with uh, these clear colorless liquids unless something goes wrong and then all the protein turns white and it's all ruined and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So like definitely like it's cool for me to like solve a protein, uh, crystal structure cause you can actually see something and, wow. uh, you know, see something for the first time. It's definitely uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. Eureka. Yeah. Very cool. I think the, the, so the last thing that I, that I wanted to really attack here is, you know, it's related to the paranoia thing. And so uh, apart from just, how molecules are natural, yeah. good, synthetic, bad, and all on all this stuff. There's also a paranoia about industry financing studies, at you know cherry picking data. Papers are ghost written. Uh, then there's collusion between pharma and doctors. Here, you know, prescribe my drug. I'll put some money in your pocket. What can we say about this kind of stuff? Is there any validity to that? Um, sure, there could be some validity to it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be cover out there especially like today right so i mean traditionally there's been peer-reviewed research and it's worked for the most part um a lot of like bad work gets rejected sometimes it gets in there um and hopefully when you take a real uh like nature science uh, some of the smaller 
smaller journals uh, out there. There's some really good work in there. You know, these field-specific things, experts validate that. <clears throat> right now, with research, not all of it is actually peer-reviewed. There's a huge issue with uh, basically like scam journals, like these for-profit journals that you pay to have it um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. published. Like I, as a grad student, would get emails like wanting me to like edit a special edition of this or something like that, or like you know submit my paper, um, do this kind of stuff that you know I was a grad student wasn't qualified at all to do that. But there are these like just scam companies out there. Mm -hmm. Then you do have um, outside of pharmaceuticals, uh, you have a lot of, like supplement companies and stuff like that, like workout supplements, uh, especially that they will um i mean some companies have been like accused or, or have actually like funded the research to like give to people they yeah so it's like ghost written not necessarily ghost written papers but like definitely like oh this is kind of like the make result us a paper that says yeah this. kind of make make us a paper to say that and that's like you know gray market like workout supplements and stuff like that it's a really can be a really sketchy area and like so you get into all that but when you get to like a bigger farmer and stuff like that um a lot of these better journals a lot of stuff that would get published in that is has been validated, but you know peer review is flawed. It's single-blinded peer review. Um, so when you submit a paper, um, you don't know who's reviewing you. You might be able to guess uh, based on some of the comments if you know that field real well. But uh, people, the authors' names are typically given out there. Um, so. Uh, you know, if you are a big name in the field or something like that, it'll be easier for you to get like a less than stellar paper out there on occasion. Um, or you could have a competitor that uh, reviews your paper and tries to tears shut it, it down, tears, yeah. shuts it down, right? Typically with these journals, um, it, you can request like special reviewers or like, hey, this is a co competitor, don't do that. So you try to accommodate that. Um, I think there is a shift for more transparency in publications. Um, uh, one online journal, uh, eLife, uh, it's a fairly recent journal, about five or six years old, I think, um, probably, or like six or seven years old. Uh, actually I actually have a paper in there from like uh, my grad school uh, career, and that was developed to be like uh, pretty open. Um, and they must reveal sources of funding and things. Yeah. Like that. You have to reveal sources of funding in a lot of things. You have to do a statement of it, but like, ah. but eLife specifically is, uh, uh, makes the whole process, um, open, uh, after the paper is published. So when you submit a paper, you have reviewers read it, depend on how they interpret your data. Um, they're either give you some really valid criticism that makes you rethink things or they're tear your paper apart. Um, and then you go through like a revision process. Uh, eLife actually uh, puts all that out there. So all these decision letters and the author's responses to the critiques of the paper are all out there. So like, that's a journal that is really trying to um, uh, you know, make this process open and uh, kind of take away some of the secrecy of it so you can actually see what's going mm -hmm. on there. And I, I think there is gonna be a desire to um, uh, spread that to other journals. A lot of people want open access for everything, yeah. um, which isn't out there right now. There are open access journals, um, some very good journals that are open access, some pretty poor journals. Uh, they're open access because authors pay for them for the most part to be published. Authors do pay for bigger p journals to publish their articles as well. 
but those articles also uh, behind a paywall uh, unless you uh, get on some university Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and download them. So there's this desire out there to make uh, all research really open access to everyone. And then with that, you know, a drive with some people out there to, to put the whole process out there. Um, and there's even, you know, new websites um, like, uh, or in like comments for papers out there. So after like the review of our article, uh, scientists can go out there and actually like debate it if mm-hmm. need be. And a lot of people out there are pretty vocal if they think uh, something is wrong or something is fraudulent, especially with um, big name things. Um, a couple years ago, there was uh, this fraudulent article that said you can make um, human stem cells by just acid treating um, uh, skin cells. And uh, that seems excessive. Yeah. Why would they even try to say that? So either they, you can misinterpret data. Um, uh, you can misinterpret your data. You can make mistakes, or there are people out there that just fake it. Right. Um, I get mean, attention. get attention, right? So, science, uh, especially like academic academic science, is uh, it, it can be pretty cutthroat, right? Uh, your career is based on your publications, mm-hmm. um, and if you get scooped by a competitor or even like a collaborator can scoop you, um, they get the high profile paper. Uh, you get uh, the lesser paper. Um, so there is a desire to, uh, you know, do Cheat. whatever it takes. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not rampant, but, I mean, it does happen. Sure. Um, yeah. Scientists are humans, and scientists some are humans human. are shitty, and then yeah. if they're scientists, they're yeah. shitty scientists. Yeah, yeah. And in, in grad school especially, that like, can be super stressful for grad students. Yeah. Uh, my advice to all grad students out there is uh, enjoy it because it's a lot better than actually working. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, people like want to get out, um, so they they're like cut corners or like you know, or just do sloppy work. Take or, your time. Yeah, take your time. Um, you know, try not to make the mistakes because uh, no scientist wants to be like found to publish the wrong structure mm-hmm. yeah. of a protein or you know misinterpret some data. Uh, it's pretty embarrassing, and yeah. it can you know no one. Well, wants that's to do interesting because that. I think one of the biggest misconceptions of people that will have any kind of beef with big pharma or pharma is that you get like even like right out the gate like when we brought up who's the pharma bro what's it martin Martin yeah yeah so like you know you don't agree it's not like it's just all pharma like that's one big team it's like within pharma right let's criticize ceos in general exactly not pharma right you can talk about the ceo of any oil company too and what they do you know you don't have to throw the entire pharma under the bus mm-hmm. yeah no. a couple bad apples yeah yeah i mean really rich bad apples yeah really rich people uh definitely uh martin uh yeah i mean no one really Dude, agrees he's with just them. got the face of a douche man it's mm-hmm. it's incredible yeah. how he looks like him yeah no very punchable face on him um but yeah like no one agrees with him like we're not you know having meetings it's, okay, yeah I mean, exactly yeah, okay. there's not one room right. where there's like pharma a, happens exactly and, uh, no no okay i mean he's just on a throne and mm-hmm. well yeah okay so we have you know our uh, climate change denial meeting right so all of us scientists are on the same page and then we you know uh have our meeting to uh you know praise martin shkreli and <laughs> right. then how we can keep people sick, right? That's what we do every I, day. Sadly, yeah. I feel like there's a small percentage of people that, that really, no, see really that way think that. People yeah. will think that. Like, yeah, no, like Martin Shkreli is an embarrassment uh, to a lot of us. Like, we don't want to be associated with that. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, but it's like all like you're you're saying. Um, it's all like big business. Like CEOs can like price gouge people. Uh, they take huge compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when you get to like some of these bigger uh, farmer companies. Uh, you know, depending on what company it is, they start to look more like law firms and right. and, and not like actual research. This is firms. a problem with capitalism, not medicine. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, the big yeah. takeaway. I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Yeah. It's like the the business uh, aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, everyone wants to make money, but you guys need like a uh, like a your own in pharma like Neil Tyson that could go out there and kind of like smooth things over, like an ambassador. Because if yeah. that guy, if 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 Martin, well, hence the science communicator. I guess that's what I'm trying to do. You're, yeah, you're no, bridging the gap. I mean, this is like because you've never you never really hear it from the side of somebody that like that. You're only hearing the bad out of big yeah. pharma and like that guy is the face of pharma yeah you know what I mean? yeah it's no, not no. fair to you guys no no yeah yeah it's, it's not fair i mean I'm, I'm sure there's some people that support him or like way to go but he's, well, he's where he's at some other ceo is like, yeah yeah, some other CEOs, oh, yeah but like, this guy's getting money he raised it by five times so i can do double and i'll yeah. seem like a good guy yeah yeah and <laughs> yeah sure and like as research scientists like yeah it's like we we don't agree with that and yeah i think a lot of people just like it don't really understand what goes into it like it, it's really uh easy to make like oh here's a uh price gouging like headline or like this new drug like no one can afford it and stuff like that mm-hmm. especially like with our political climate it's really easy to to rally on that i mean you can you know run about you know cutting drug prices because of evil farmer and stuff like that and you know and it's like oh yeah yeah i shouldn't have to pay this much for like health care it's because you know the companies are you know trying to profit off me dying or something like that. And that's not what it is. Like, I mean, the drugs are expensive, expensive to make and develop. And there has to be some kind of recuperation of, uh, the costs involved, um, in the research and development of these drugs or Mm -hmm. no one's going to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. I think we've, we've humanized farm a little bit. I think maybe even identified, I like what we were talking about, increasing transparency in in publications, everything. So, I think that's a lot. What's of, crazy that's a lot is that like on. scientists like you that get it that are are fighting for all that is good is like buried under the bad part of pharma yeah. and like you know people preaching crystals how those work and stuff like well, like it's yeah. insane how that how much more popular that is because it's a it's that a, doesn't work it's yeah. a thing a, that does work it's an attractive narrative people yeah. like it oh yeah it's yeah. sexy they, they want it to be true you get to go to yeah. Joshua Tree do some yoga mm-hmm. yeah no I'm, sure I mean. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Depression. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think your energy crystal is gonna really rig yourself of depression. I mean, if you're depressed, you may need to take a Zoloft, <laughs> right? Well, but, it could. It could give you a but, nice placebo. Effect, yeah, no, but it's but, not gonna cure your cancer. It, it's not gonna cure you, but yeah, the placebo effect yeah. can be huge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. If if you put yourself in a different like space, right? You know, if I get diagnosed with cancer, yeah, I'm gonna go to Western medicine for that. So, yeah, yeah, right. Try it all. Yeah, I'll try it all, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm not going to do like uh, Tommy Chong. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to do that, but like, sure, I'll get really high until it goes away. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, your mood is separate. You can right. do all kinds hey, of stuff. You might be able to forget mood. about it for a minute. Yeah, so. no. It, yeah, and if 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 using Eastern medicine, uh, in addition to Western medicine, if that helps you, like with your mental state to get yeah. through it, I, I'm all for that. Right? You shouldn't. I mean, the patient should be in control of everything, but don't think that uh it's not going to cause a massive biological change it's not going to change yeah yeah 
Well, so what do you think after all we've done here, Matt? Do you has your perspective on pharma shifted slightly, yeah, or is I mean, it where I, it was? I've never. It's like a. It's like a racist talking to like a black person. It's <laughs> like you, you like don't even know if you don't if you never get to actually talk to anybody. Right. I mean, it's really refreshing to hear that side of it. So. Mm-hmm. I'm a comedian, and comedians self-medicate, and yeah. that's all they do. So yeah. it's like there's the whole – the fact that there's actually – like if you really take a step back from all of that, like sure, it feels good to smoke some pot. But the chemicals that you're using and everything that – all the decades of research, yeah. you actually look into how the brain works, how the heart works, how all the different things work. Like there, mm-hmm. there's nothing beats actual research. Yeah. yeah. You know, you could fool yourself. Can't you could, argue with it. You could go, you could look at, at all the Terrence McKenna videos and you could feel as good as possible about whatever you're doing that you decided because your friend uh, gave you some. Yeah. Like, but nothing beats science. Molecules yeah. are molecules and, and they've they do, always yeah, been. Definitely. They do what they do. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think we made a lot of progress here. So I want to thank you guys for, uh, for the talk. It was great fun. You guys are the coolest Daves I've ever met. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Had a fun right. time. Thanks.